Listen now to The Proof Podcast Season 2, The Murder at the Warehouse. How'd you find out something had happened? My mom called me and said, Lori, the police found a body, and they're pretty sure it's Renee. Right, right away, you thought right Jake. Right away. In my head already, I thought it was Jake. Season 2 of Proof is available now, wherever you get your podcasts. I don't think that they arrested the right people. It's about time somebody's trying to do something. This is a CBC Podcast. The following program contains adult language. You're listening to Someone Knows Something from CBC Radio. In 1972, five-year-old Adrian McNaughton vanished while on a fishing trip in eastern Ontario. Documentarian David Ridgen goes back to the small town he grew up in, searching for answers. It's day two of the cadaver dog search up here at Holmes Lake near Calabogie in eastern Ontario. Yesterday we pounded through the bush with our GPSs and our amazing sniffer dogs, but found nothing related to the disappearance of five-year-old Adrian McNaughton. The clouds are here in force today, temperature hovering around five degrees. I've arrived early and I'm heading back to the bush road to Holmes Lake when I see a well-used red tar paper shack at the roadside. It's one of the old hunt camps, green dotted on the map, and I stop to take a look. It's a little hunt camp here beside the road. Just a little red ramshackle building. Camp's alarmed and booby-trapped. Great. Can't really tell much. Just a hunting camp. Won't be able to tell much until the dogs get here. The dog teams behind me call ahead and say they'll cover the hunt camp and area on the way. So I continue to the meeting place and start walking up the bush road towards Holmes Lake, like Chantel McNaughton did the day before. And like her, I feel the need to be alone with my thoughts in these woods. Not many birds singing. It's December. I guess they'd be confused if they were here. But it's not long before I hear the familiar sound of Kim Cooper's truck approaching. Good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Good morning. <laughs> so did the other guys go to the, the cabin? Yeah, they go to the cabin at this point. So. Okay. Uh, what should I do? While we wait for up? Pauline and her dog Quinn, that's the new team joining us today, to arrive from the hunt cabin, Kim and I decide on the order of events for the morning. If you wanted to start going right, in the yeah, lakes there, yeah. it probably won't take long. Yeah, very quick. Yesterday's GPS tracks reveal that we missed a segment of the land between Holmes Lake and Center Lake. So at the beginning of every day... Alright, navigation by GPS. It's not going to take much actually from what we did yesterday. Two or three cuts through there and we've got it covered off. Which dog? So we'll cover that off before moving on to any of the other areas. Just going to steer us right into the holes from yesterday. Kim and I plunge back into the bush with Grief, the younger male dog. Yeah, yeah. we hadn't actually gotten quite to this spot uh, yesterday. We walk along the rugged shoreline of Holmes Lake much closer to the water than yesterday and into the area we did not cover. 
See, I was led to believe that this end of the lake was just too dense, no way anyone would ever walk here. It's actually clearer than the other side. Yeah, it's that point over there where he was last seen, actually. Just right over there. If we go along okay, here, okay. we'll get to the... Yeah. Nuts just and then, grief the dog. He's drinking out of the lake now. He's checking out the water. Pretty attentive. Seem interested in something? Or my well, just, we have a lot, small behavior change here. The longer we stand still here, the more I start convincing him that I'd like him to something there. I see. So, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna move more. You kind of fulfill the prophecy a little bit. Yeah. He did seem very attentive there. Grief clearly, at least to my untrained eyes, made changes in his body posture. He walked down to the shoreline, stood on a rock, and looked out sniffing toward the lake supremely quiet, at attention and still, concentrating. What's with the drinking and stuff? Is that like trying to get more scent into his it nose? It actually is, nasal? yeah. That's, that's pretty astute that you noticed. Um, he doesn't swim and drink. He, he was, he's biting the water, he's tasting the water. So they, they can, licking at the water, biting at the water is a way of trying to pick up more of what's out there. So do you, do you make anything of that, or is it just kind of... Uh, he certainly didn't indicate, but he, um, he changed his own path a couple of times. So he's moving forward with a certain rate of speed, and then all of a sudden he hooks back on himself. He does seem to be kind of going back. Well, now we're not getting the hook back. He's just running now. So it's a sudden jerk back. Yeah, you're moving in a certain direction and then for no apparent reason they change direction. It's just a hook. All of a sudden they hook. Now, that could be that there's a dead raccoon in there and they're going to hook back because it's different. But they're not going to tell us there's something there. They're just going to hook back out of sheer curiosity. So any number of things can make the dog hook back on itself. Um, but uh, yeah, that's why I say it's nice to have a second dog and see if we get a similar behavior change up there with the second dog. How do the dogs know it's a human bone? We still don't know enough about it for me to absolutely answer that question. Uh, but uh, forensic anthropologists are certainly studying um, the odor of decomposition. And, and there's a definite difference between animal odors and human odors. There's some 500 chemicals that are involved overall. And there's a small set of, of maybe, maybe 10 or 15 that are unique to human. Uh, but we certainly know through training, we put out our, our human bones, our training aids, and uh, the dogs will, will burn right past deer bone, coyote bone, any other bone, pay no attention to it whatsoever, and, and zoom right in on the human bone only. So, so they know there's a difference, they can, and they can tell what it is. It's easy right to believe the narrative you want versus the truth you're in. Grief's actions are different here, and it's the first time in the two days he has acted this way that we have seen. But what do these actions really mean? He's specifically trained to react to the smell of human decay only. But underwater? Luckily, we have two other dogs here, and we can bring them into this same situation to see what they think. Back at the cars, we meet Pauline, who has arrived with her dog, the beautiful and very personable Quinn. Hello. I'm David. Nice David. to meet you. I'll shake your elbow. <laughs> nice to see you. So we had a little interesting moment over there. Just a little one. Kim tells Pauline about Grief's findings. 
Kim's cautious by nature and rightly careful not to overblow anything. He showed a behavior change by this lake. Just just enough that he hooked, he hooked into the lake a couple of times. He didn't indicate or anything like that, so I'll just bring Breeze up and but we can go double check. To maximize our time together, Pauline and Quinn are detailed to search out the bush road coming in from the Calabogie side to see if they can locate any remains of older hunt camps. Their search of the camp I found on the way in turned up nothing. Meanwhile, Kim and I take Breeze, the more experienced female dog, back up to the lake. Kim's moving pretty quick here. At this point, it's one dog, almost nothing. A whisper of something nameless. But still, everyone wants confirmation. Uh, we had a small change in behavior from my other dog close to the lake shore. So we're just going to bring a second dog up and see if we get, again, a change in behavior from a second dog. Uh, we had two dogs showing change. Starts to become more interesting. Maybe there's something that needs to be looked at here. But uh, this is definitely less than, than a perfect scenario to come in on a search 42 years afterwards. That'll do. We approach the area where Grief made his actions once again. Kim is very careful not to lead Breeze into any kind of expected behavior, following behind her evenly, continuing to move, ever watchful of the dog's every action. You know, we're we're standing still here, so she's going. Well, why do you want to? Why do you want to have a look at this spot? She is looking in the same place. Right, come show me. Ready? Okay, break. Go find it. So. Barking, barking at the water. Kim's trying to get her to go. Okay, break. Good girl. Good girl. So it, it looks like a, a strong positive. If you don't know the dog, she she likes to bark. She likes her ball. Um, I would say we have some subtle signs here. As much as it looks dramatic, the actual body language of sniffing was fairly subtle. So I consider her to be the better dog of the two. He actually gave more body language than she did. And we spent a lot of time standing still here. So what do I know? I know I'd like to have a look at the lake. I know I'd like to bring the third dog down, and I know I'd probably even bring her back in here a couple hours from now. To me, it seemed like it wasn't just us standing here. She actually looked in exactly the same direction. It's something I'd want to look at closer, of course. And you know, this a limitation we have with water is this is as much as we can do with the dog. Uh, short of getting a boat and going on, on the water in a boat. But if you're going to make that effort, you might as well just drag some divers up and have them go in. Now, two dogs have made intriguing actions at the same spot. The accuracy of cadaver dogs, according to my research at least, on land, even with remains many feet underground, is in the 90th percentile and up. But while some of the dogs' actions point to the shoreline area here, many more of them point towards the water, the water of Holmes Lake. There is precedent, such as in the fairly well-publicized account from Priest Lake, Idaho, with dogs detecting a body 15 to 20 years after death in 350 feet of water. 
and all the handlers I've spoken to agree that dogs under the right conditions can sniff out molecules of decay from remains under bodies of water. When we get back to the trucks, we have to wait for Pauline and Quinn to return from the rundown to the old hunt camp areas. So Kim decides to show me something. She reaches into the back of her truck and pulls out what looks like a small orange plastic cooler. All right, so we're just gonna set out a, a bit of a motivational problem for the dogs. They've been going a couple of days without finding anything. So this just gives them a chance to actually earn the ball that they've been desperately seeking. Uh, so I'm just getting my safety gloves on. And the uh, dog is fairly aware of what's happening. He's getting a little excited. Just go into my cadaver box here and we'll pull out a vertebrae uh, and use that. Kim's decided to show me how the dogs react to real human bones. Where do you get this stuff? Believe it or not, you can order it online. Bones can be bought through the internet. Um, other materials we can uh, obtain legally, like things like placenta or, or um, ground, where if someone has, has died and not been discovered for several days, the ground will be saturated with odors that we can use. So uh, there's nothing, there's no feet, there's no hands in our cadaver boxes. There's nothing that, that can be identified. So what are you holding there? So I've got a vertebrae, single human vertebrae. You wouldn't think there's a whole lot of odor on this, uh, but there, there's plenty. The dog will have no trouble picking up on this one vertebrae. And we're gonna go stick this out in the woods and then we'll come back and let the dog have a go and have a chance to earn his reward. You can see how hard that is to see. So if the dog finds it, he's definitely finding it because he smells it, not because he sees it. And go back and get a dog. The dogs know they will soon be finding a bone, but they don't know where it is. And I'd say it's at least 100 meters away from where they are on the truck cab right now. Oh boy. Oh boy. Sweeping in a zigzag pattern, Grief finds the human vertebrae within probably 15 seconds, all by using his nose. It's amazing to behold. Pauline and Quinn have arrived back, so we're anxious to see what Quinn makes of the area the other two dogs have been interested in. What we'll do is we'll just, we'll just follow you, won't tell you anything, and just let you do it. And then if you get nothing, maybe on the way back, we'll just sort of say, maybe check this area a little more closely and see if something We don't happens. tell Pauline where on the lake to look, and obviously Quinn has no idea. We follow along silently behind them and watch. Not quite a double-blind test, but as close as we can get, with neither party knowing where the site is. So we're just going to have uh, Pauline have a check of the um, the shore of the lake here. Uh, we've had some behavior changes from two dogs, but they're not they're far from definitive. So we're going to have her have a check. She has no clue where our dogs had behavior changes. So this is a totally honest uh, view with a third dog. Right. So should we follow? Yep. Love to have some divers come in. Yeah. What did you see him do? Um, he started sniffing more rapidly, and 
the same time closed in his ranging, tightened it up. Um, there's definitely a change in body carriage there, yeah. Do you want to stop in that? We'll move to a little okay. tiny bit more. It was very obvious there's something different there. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Three separate dogs, three identical reactions in exactly the same place. Holy fuck. Within a couple of seconds, there were a number of armed security with great big airport machine guns. An autism patient's daring escape from NHS psychiatric care pits her against some of the most powerful institutions in the state. From the multi-award-winning Sky News Storycast team, in partnership with The Independent, follow Patient 11 wherever you get your podcasts. So in case there's any doubt, it's all happening in the same spot. His change almost to the foot happened where it happened with grief and breeze. The change was clear and it was exact. Uh, if you want to go back through it and spend a little more time and see what happens, yeah. we already have what we want, what we yeah. need. I asked Pauline what she noticed. What did you notice back there? Well, a lot of sniffing. Something had his attention down towards the, the water. And he was more concentrated in that area instead of just passing, passing on. It was obvious, yeah, very obvious. And both Breeze and Grief got on one rock, the same rock, and stood facing straight out into the water. It's pretty hardcore. It is hardcore, and now we're certainly less hesitant in our excitement. Then Quinn actually barks at Pauline when she isn't looking at him. In other words, clearly a voluntary bark, something the dogs do when indicating. Tell me about the indication and... What happened here? He narrowed it down to one spot, and he came back, and alerted. And that's a bark? Yeah, he, yeah, he, he barked. But he thinks there's something there. It just makes so much sense to me. It doesn't make sense finding it 43 years later. But the storyline that, you know, he's last seen 100 meters away, he's five years old, it's He went in the water. Yeah. But, I mean, it doesn't look like a deep lake. And it should warm up really quite nicely in the summertime, which yeah. means it should turn over and things should come up. So parts of it make a lot of sense. It's a very simple explanation for what happened, but the science of it is very questionable. The science of human bodies in water is that, over time, natural decay leads to the production of gas, which lifts the body to the surface. After rising, the body can then drift, but often releases the gas and then sinks to the bottom for good. If Adrian did fall into the lake, was his body too small to generate enough gas to rise to the top? And if he did surface, would it have been during the time of the search? A shallow lake like this one might make surfacing more likely. Just more unknowns to add to our day. That's the same rock. Yeah. That's the rock where the other two stood standing. There. Breeze indicated there. Grief didn't indicate, but he hooked into there three times. Hmm. So, yeah, but something's happening here. Some, something's happening here. We don't know exactly what. 
when we're talking about this area, are the dogs, are they indicating because of a scent? All that they are telling us is that they are detecting an odor here. Where would it be coming from? It's coming on the wind. That's, that's all we know. Is the odor right there? Is it 50 feet out? Is it across the lake? Uh, we don't know. This is as far as they can go without swimming. So they say, at this spot, there's enough odor present for me to say that you're probably interested in this. I mean, we've worked in some scenarios where uh, someone's been buried for, for weeks, and, and sometimes the dogs indicate 100 meters away from where the person's actually buried, but they're adamant that this is where the odor is. So where the odor is and where the person is are, are sometimes not the same place. Hmm? Oh, I wonder what's going on here. It's so enticing and interesting and intriguing. Yeah, you certainly hope it's going to lead to something. I mean, like you say, something's going on here. It's all fascinating and kind of chilling somehow. Each of the three dogs stood on exactly the same rock, looked in the same direction and gave a quietly dramatic sniffing pause. Two of the dogs taste-smelled the water. It's, it's interesting at the same time, I'd say it's far from definitive and far from clear as to what's happening. But then again, we've never worked a 43-year-old case before. Yeah. So we got no frame of reference. What do I tell the family? Are the dogs accurate? Are there bones here? Are they Adrian's bones? We don't know until we find them, if we do. But I will eventually have to tell them something. Cut ahead another week, and I'm back at Holmes Lake again with yet another cadaver dog named Zappa and Zappa's handler, Susan Reed, who's driven here from Lindsay, Ontario. Uh, I am with Georgian Bay Search and Rescue, but I live just outside of Lindsay. Susan's a school teacher most of the time, but like Kim Cooper, is passionate about search and rescue. It consumes your whole life. If you're not training, then you're training. With Susan and Zappa here now, I'll have had access to the best trained amateur cadaver dogs and handlers in Ontario. Susan, tell me about your dog Zappa. Zappa is two and a half years old, soon to be three, Malinois, male. He is, uh, he's a goof, but he is high drive, good focus, not as intense as I'd like him to be, but he knows how to turn it on when it's, when it's time to work. We strike out on the same path as Adrian and his family, and 43 years later, the three cadaver dogs who indicated further up the lake. Sue has no idea where we were and has never been to the lake before. Zappa is the fourth cadaver dog. If I had to wager a guess, I would say this must be where the other dogs hit. Totally. Yeah. Exactly where they hit. Yeah. I notice Zappa on his hind legs, pawing at tree trunks and smelling upwards. So now you can see he's climbing the trees here, and that's where he was getting the strongest. Now he's, he's certainly not indicating, he's just alerting to me. If there's something blowing off the water, it could get all caught up here. Apparently, trees can act like catcher's mitts, collecting molecules of scent that may be coming off the water. As Zappa moves along, he takes a keen interest in the shoreline area 
adjacent to the indication spot. The other dogs also showed interest in this area, but Zappa's extra interested. He crawls out onto a log that overhangs the water and smells outward. All the dogs have shown a frustration, as if they're not quite able to figure out the source of the scent ahead of them, in all cases, out towards the water. Well, he certainly had a change in body language at, at that first spot that I said um, you could see an interest. But this one, absolutely, he would like to have investigated it more. Um, to me, the fact that he crawled out onto that, uh, that downed log tells me something. Good stuff. Good stuff, my boy. Be tough to get a boat out in that, wouldn't it? Well, I should have brought my dive gear. Do you have dive gear too? I do. Wouldn't it be cool if you could do it with the dogs? How deep is this water? So four cadaver dogs have now made intriguing indications at the same spot and shoreline area. I need to find some divers with experience in this kind of thing. But most importantly, I need to tell the family. That's the thing that kind of gives you goosebumps. We're not just talking one dog. We're not talking two dogs. Every single dog went into that scenario and none of them knew what the previous dog had done. So for all four dogs to hit on that one shoreline, to me, is, is quite significant. what draws people like Kim and Pauline and myself to doing cadaver work. Um, it, it's, it's families such as this, they deserve closure and after 43 years this poor family deserves to be able to put their little boy to rest. It's a cold night in Armprior and the McNaughton family is gathered in front of me on their couches and Barb's in her motorized chair. They know something different is coming, and as I start to speak about the four cadaver dogs and the interest in a dive, they draw closer together and to me, sitting forward in silence with their mouths open. I try to tune the message to be as accurate but understated as possible. All it means is that we want to just do some more checking. There's nothing confirmed. We don't know. There's very few cases where we have uh, like reports of dogs finding bones underwater, but there are publications. A huge percentage of finds are on land, far fewer proven on water. So this, if there is any findings, whether these are Adrian's remains or not, or if they're anything, would be precedent setting. So it's, that's how little the chances are. But I do think it, I think it's significant enough that we should look with the divers. Sure. Yeah. If we find Adrian alive, mm -hmm. that's great. If we find that he's not, we finally got closure. Then when anybody asks me about it, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. But until there is something definitive, I don't want to be asked every day what's going on. Mm -hmm. Nope. And I think we all feel that way. Mm -hmm. Oh, certainly. I have great faith that God is going to give me an answer before he takes me home. It is him that has carried us through the whole thing. 
this almost seems as though this is just almost a movie. Surreal. Do you know yeah. that? Yeah. It almost seems like something that it hasn't happened to us. On the next episode of Someone Knows Something. So the lake is just uh, just down the road here, 50 meters. Oh, okay. Let's go take a look. There we go. I mean, it's water here. This is tea-colored. That reduces your visibility considerably. I could swim past you and not see you. Visit cbc.ca slash sks and click on this week's episode to find more information about how cadaver dogs work. To listen from the beginning, go to cbc.ca slash sks or download the podcast from iTunes or your favorite app. Someone Knows Something is hosted, written, and produced by David Ridgen. The show is also produced by Ashley Walters, Sandra Bartlett, Steph Kampf, and executive producer Arif Nurani. The music is by Bob Wiseman, vocals by Mary Margaret O'Hara and Jess Reimer.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.